0: And welcome to Southern Middle Tennessee today on WKOM and WKRM Radio, your hometown news broadcasting from Columbia, Tennessee. I'm your host, Tom Price. Today is Tuesday, January 17th, and we start with local news. During the activities celebrating Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day yesterday, former Columbia Vice Mayor Dr. Krista Martin spoke about King's legacy. WKOM WKRM's Delk Kennedy got to speak to Dr. Martin to hear more about the events that took place yesterday and will continue on through the week.
1: This is Delk Kennedy from Porch Radio. To commemorate and memorialize Dr. Martin Luther King on this, this day that, which is named in his honor, I've just heard a passionate speech uh, Celebrating, commemorating Dr. King from Dr. Krista Martin. She is immediate uh, vice mayor, uh, past vice mayor of Columbia. Dr. Martin, what what inspires your passion that we heard this morning with regard to Dr. King?
2: Well, first of all, it, it, it's the the legacy and it's work because if you're going to be a leader, you've got to work. And you've got to serve and to have read the stories, read the books. I have a big portion of them in my collection. And to share that and to understand that somebody paid the price. He paid the ultimate price for me to do the things that I do today with God's rich blessings. I'm excited every time I get to speak about him.
1: Well, it was an exciting speech. Now, what a, we've got some upcoming events. These folks are now presently marching down uh, South Main and then uh, across to East 8th Street. I think they're going to wind up at Mount Calvary Church. What else is planned to commemorate Dr. King in Columbia or Murray County this week?
2: Certainly, we have a large-scale program at Mount Calvary Missionary Baptist Church today with local preachers and pastors and singers and speakers, and we're excited about that. The community has come together to provide a a small breakfast for them that, that choose to go and march to the church and participate in the program. This will be great. In addition to that, on Wednesday night, Columbia State, January the 18th at 6.30 p.m. in the Wayman L. Hickman building inside the Cherry Theater. We will be having our annual Dr. Martin Luther King celebration program where Eddie Wilkes the exalted ruler of Harlan Flippin' Lodge, the state president of Elks statewide, and an esteemed lecturing knight of the International Order of Elks will be our keynote speaker. We will have several church choirs and local soloists there. It will be a full-line program also to celebrate Dr. King. It is his honor.
1: All right, folks, and all of these exciting events, uh, and and powerful Columbia and Murray County, Tennessee. What's going on here I'm sure is paralleled around the rest of the nation. But all of these events are free and open to the public. And again, this is Del Kennedy, Front Porch Radio. I've been speaking with Dr. Krista Martin about how Martin Luther King and Martin Luther King Day inspires such passion in her
2: uh Dr. Martin, thank you. Thank you so much. And, and listen, it is a partnership. Several organizations, several governments, Murray County, Mayor Budd, City, City of Columbia, Mayor Mayor Mulder, and, and, and several business leaders around town are supporting this effort. And ter- we certainly appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. you.
0: Join Murray Alliance on January 31st at 5 p.m. for their most anticipated event of the year as they celebrate their 2022 accomplishments and recognize the transition of their volunteer leadership. This will be a lively night of entertainment and networking celebrating business and industry in Murray County with dinner and beverages by Puckets and live music featuring Austin Tyler Jones. In addition to their normal programming, they are excited to use this year's event as an opportunity to unveil a brand new, uniquely branded talent attraction campaign for Murray County, which you will not want to miss. You can purchase tickets now to guarantee a seat at Murray Alliance's biggest event of the year, Visit www.murrayalliance.com for more information and for tickets. Everybody needs a little help sometimes, and for some, it can be the very stepping stone needed to begin rebuilding their lives and their family's future. During this time of year, the nation's homeless face many challenges, not only where their next meal might come from, but finding a warm place to sleep while, while enduring freezing temperatures. For the past three years, Columbia's Room in the Inn, based in Nashville's Room in the Inn model, has offered that helping hand to hundreds of those struggling to secure a basic necessity of life, a safe, warm place to stay at night. Pastor Jeff Kane of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Columbia founded the ministry with the help of partners like the Columbia Inn on Highway 31, which goes beyond providing simple shelter for the night, but is an opportunity to transition into a better future. Kane has been partnering with the inn to provide up to 20 rooms to those experiencing homelessness while they work to find permanent shelter. This includes welcoming individuals and families into the community program, many containing multiple young children. This has helped a lot of people over the last three years, and we've never had empty rooms, Kane said. There are always phone calls coming through. We've had a lot of success stories people going back to work, back to school, kids achieving academic awards. The key word is transition, to get back into life, to have a safe shelter with peace of mind at night without worrying, he said. Originally housing only three beds in Westminster's basement area, Room in the Inn continued to grow, eventually housing up to 20 clients at a time at Columbia Inn. It seemed Room in the Inn was in a position to continue its expansion, which would include a vision to establish its own permanent shelter facility in Columbia in the future, Kane said. However, once COVID-19 hit in early 2020, Room in the Inn was faced with more than a few financial struggles, forcing the organization to reduce its 20-bed capacity to 10. For us, financially, we just couldn't support 20 rooms, and so we had to cut back to 10. Volunteer-wise, we had 20 rooms with people coming in with lives that are very challenging, and all we have is a volunteer staff. The vision and care we wanted to provide had just been stretched too far, Kane said. The summer was heated where there was a lot of job loss and people needed rooms. Financially, if we kept, if, if we would have kept our budget going the way it was, we would have been empty by September or October, he said. Kane dreams of the ministry eventually having its own facility to house those experiencing homelessness. Our big dream over the last three years is finding a place of our own where we are not having to pay rent, that it's truly a room in the inn where we can set up a place to offer these citizens care and support, Kane said. When people think of the community's homeless, they often might not think that it includes a diverse range of people of all socioeconomic statuses, from those who have lost jobs suddenly to those who are chronically homeless. Much of the nation's homeless population also includes children and young people. Prior to the holiday break, approximately 90 Murray County public school students were registered as homeless. Murray County Public Schools Director of Communications Jack Cobb said the number tends to fluctuate each semester and that homeless can mean a number of things. It might be doubled up living with other families, living in hotels or motels or in their cars and vans, or they might actually be homeless, Cobb said. We are very fortunate in Murray County that we have so many activists that step up and serve to help those in need. There's a lot of help to turn to if needed, he said. Cobb added that Murray County Public Schools has a number of resources in place to assist its homeless students, from transportation to special funding for gas and food, as well as having a homeless student liaison on staff at every school. The liaison's primary duties include working with the state and federal government to assist in things like grant applications. We've got a lot of people in place to help identify and assist the students through our liaisons, school counselors and such, Cobb said, the school district utilizes many of the nonprofits in the area as well as the McKinney Vento Education Act. A lot of the funding those two provide helps offset emergency needs like gas cards and transportation, he said. During the winter season, while most will enjoy the comforts of indoor heating, the community's homeless are spending each night fending off frigid temperatures. During the recent freezing cold front in late December, which caused temperatures to dip into the negative numbers, two local women decided to organize an event to keep Columbia's homeless community warm. The Crossroads to Home Coalition hosted a five-day giving event December 22nd through the 26th. The event raised approximately $4,000 in fund to fund emergency accommodations, as well as $5,500 for hotel rooms housing up to 44 guests. The event was the vision of Crossroads to Home Cafe manager Pam Sanders and Murray Regional Mobile Health nurse and Crossroads to Home board member Lori Berglund. It was also made possible by local churches, nonprofits, and volunteers, including including Murray Hills, Riverside Methodist Church, the Well Church, McCain's Church, First Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and Room in the Inn, among others. The Family Center, New Song Church, area churches, community supporters, and individuals helped on Christmas Eve when many in need had to move from one location to another due to booked rooms, the group's recent press release states. The assistance on these days allowed those transitioning to remain warm and receive food. So many came together for the greater good to help families, children, and anyone they could. It takes a village to withstand adversity and overcome differences to make a difference and save lives. We thank everyone who helped, the release said. Shortly after starting the room in the Inn Ministry, Reverend Kane partnered with late Asgard Brewing Company and Taproom founder Dr. Stephen Porter to create an annual community fundraiser. This would become Columbia's very own Oktoberfest, which recently celebrated its third and largest year, taking place at Riverwalk Park on September 29th. In previous years, the event has raised thousands of dollars for room in the inn, with proceeds primarily funding rent throughout the winter months, as well as other necessities. The 2022 Oktoberfest drew approximately 900 people of all ages, while also garnering more than $41,000 for room in the inn. Part of the 2022 event's success, Kane added, was that it was finally able to take place where Porter's original vision began, with people of all ages congregating together in a city park. I loved Dr. Porter's energy, and this was his vision to have Oktoberfest at the park. Between the brewers, the food truck people, the Box of Rocks band, it was a team effort, Kane said. For 2023, Kane is hoping room in the inn's progress will continue to grow, and that his dream of raising enough funds to operate independently in its own facility will soon be realized. Columbia has been such a generous community for us, very supportive, Kane said. You have to have a real passion to do this kind of work. And now we have a whole community that's come to surround us. We feel it's given us some momentum and we're starting to get some traction in our cause, he said. A portion of land located near E.A. Cox Middle School, once deeded to the city for future public safety development, has been given back to the county for future use. The city first acquired the land back in 2017 when a Memorandum of Understanding, or MOU, was adopted between the city and Murray County Board of Education, which stated a portion of the property would be used to construct Fire Station Number 3, as well as maintaining the E.A. Cox ball fields. In addition to the now fully operational fire hall, the city also spent approximately $25,000 in addition to hours of volunteer labor to construct a new mountain bike trail. The request to amend the current MOU appeared on Columbia City Council's Thursday consent agenda, or items typically deemed non-controversial, but was moved at the request of Ward 5 Councilman Danny Coleman to allow further discussion. One of Coleman's main concerns was that a portion of the property being requested includes the city-funded bike trail. My admonition to the schools would be an admonition of time and effort that citizens of Columbia and Murray County in general put into those bike trails, Coleman said. If there is a way to preserve them, allow for the volunteer group to do so. That would be my admonition, he said. The amendment would allow the city to retain ownership of the three-and-a-half-acre parcel containing fire station number three, as well as an additional three-and-a-half acres for future public safety use. Firefighters' drive will also remain a city street, the rest of the property, including maintenance of the ball fields, would return to the county. This is something that has been long in discussion dating back to early last year, Columbia Mayor Chas Mulder said. I think at some point it became a situation that it was difficult to maintain. While it sounded good at the time, ultimately that proved to be a logist- logistical challenge for a number of reasons, he said. Mayor Mulder added that of all options the city could have taken, this was the cleanest way to dissolve the MOU. The city gets to keep its fire hall as well as additional land for more public safety while the school retains its ball fields. I'm ready to move forward in a positive direction with the school system, and I'm ready to put this issue that has somewhat provided some divisiveness to bed, and I think the school system feels confident and feels the same way, Mulder said. This would allow us to do just that, he said. Murray County Public Schools Director Lisa Ventura said the students might have all also have lots of fun helping maintain the mountain bike trail, and the schools have just as much of a vested interest in the trails, including their upkeep, as the city. We have a vested interest in our grant money, which helped pay for the paths, our students taking care of those paths, and, of course, the community, Ventura said. We enjoy a partnership with the City of Columbia and their park system that I do think is truly unique to the City of Columbia, and we could not be more appreciative, she said. The request was ultimately approved by a 7-0 unanimous vote. Murray County Public Schools are in need of bus drivers. If you are looking for a job, this is a wonderful opportunity. Bus drivers start at $17.32 per hour with a 3% raise each year with step-scale increases after three years. The position gets full health benefits. The average workday is about four hours with opportunities for additional hours. One sick day and one vacation day is earned each month with unused days paid out at the end of the year. CDL training will be provided. Join the Murray County Public Schools team today. You can be the first person students see in the morning and the last they see before they get home. Brighten these students' days and sign on as a bus driver at Murray County Public Schools. You can apply online at www.murrayk12.org. columbia state community college will host virtual freshman and dual enrollment information sessions through the month of may these info sessions are i'm sorry not may but they'll start here in january Uh, these info sessions are a great opportunity for incoming and prospective students to learn about the benefits of attending columbia state regarding scholarships degree pathways and transferability said samuel day columbia state enrollment recruiter Dual enrollment is also discussed in depth and is an amazing opportunity for high school students to earn college credit before formally entering higher education. The information sessions are designed for high school juniors and seniors and parents and guardians interested in learning more about dual enrollment classes at or attending Columbia State. The information session will cover the dual enrollment grant, which provides high school students the opportunity to take up to five dual enrollment courses tuition free. In addition, participants can learn more about Tennessee Promise, which allows graduating high school and homeschool seniors the opportunity to earn a degree or certificate from a community or technical college tuition-free. The next information session will take place on January 24th from 6 to 7 p.m. For more information, contact Samuel Day at 615-790-4409 or by email at sday3 at columbiastate.edu. And now your hometown memorials, sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Mr. James Walker Woody, 92, a retired employee of Union Carbide and a longtime resident of Santa Fe, died Friday, January 13th at Waynesboro Health and Rehab. Funeral services for Mr. Woody will be conducted on Tuesday at 2 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Burial will follow in Santa Fe Cemetery. The family will visit with friends on Tuesday from 1 p.m. until service time at the funeral home. Mrs. Laurel Anita Williams Duggar, 81, a retired office manager for SCT Systems and a resident of Columbia, died Saturday, January 14th at Murray Regional Medical Center. Funeral services for Mrs. Duggar will be conducted on Wednesday at 10 a.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Burial will follow in Rose Hill Cemetery. The family will visit with friends on Tuesday from 4 to 8 p.m. at the funeral home. Mr. Richard Frank Richie Benefield, 63, a retired employee of Nissan and a resident of Kalioka, died Saturday, January 14th at Centennial Medical Center. A graveside service for Mr. Benefield will be conducted on Thursday at 11 a.m. at Friendship Cemetery. The family will visit with friends on Wednesday from 4 to 8 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Mr. Kenneth D. Mullinax, 89, a retired employee of Fleming Company and a resident of Columbia, died Sunday, January 15th, at Murray Regional Medical Center. Funeral services for Mr. Mullinax will be conducted Friday at 2 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Burial will follow in Neapolis Cemetery. The family will visit with friends on Friday from 11 a.m. until service time at the funeral home. Hometown Memorials is sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Serving with dignity and consideration for over 150 years. As years go by, people may tend to forget just what a funeral is really all about. At Oaks and Nichols, we believe it's first and always a special remembrance of someone you love. We start by listening to your needs and desires. If you're unsure, we can help gently, professionally. At Oaks and Nichols
1: Funeral Directors, we haven't lost sight of why we're here to serve Murray County families in the ways they prefer, and why Matt and Susie Sowell believe the way to honor tradition is with especially personal service. We believe your traditions, your customs, your rites of passage are very important, but we also believe in taking care of your personal wishes as well.
2: At Oaks and Nichols, we try to do more than just the expected things, so the service you receive honors your heritage and is uniquely yours, and we invite you to experience
3: the difference.
0: Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors. 320 West 7th Street in Columbia. Since 1856, people you can rely on. For your southern middle Tennessee weather, we will have considerable cloudiness today with a slight chance of a rain shower. The high will reach 66 degrees with winds out of the southwest at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, we can expect more clouds with some patchy fog. The low will be 51. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll cover state and national news that affect you. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. Family first. (laughs) My dad used to tell us that all the time.
1: But family first wasn't just something he'd say to us. It was how he lived every day of his life. And it's how I try to live mine, too. At Shelter Insurance... Our agents are dedicated to helping provide personalized auto, home, and life protection that puts your family first.
3: For auto, home, life, or business insurance, see shelter agent Tommy Hyde Jr. at 388-2009.
1: Hello, friends. This is Brian King from Tennessee Children's Home. Thank you seems appropriate for this time of year. At Tennessee Children's Home, we have even more to be thankful for this year. We have a new campus and have moved in. We've been overwhelmed by the support you have given us to the move to the new campus. Please continue to support us as we try to pay off this debt. Please go to our website, TennesseeChildrenshome.org, for more information. This is Brian King from Tennessee Children's Home. More than 95% of people incarcerated in Tennessee will come home.
3: I knew it would be tough re-entering society, and I figured I would need help.
1: It's okay. Help is available. The new Tennessee Office of Reentry helps get jobs for people who have been arrested, charged, incarcerated on probation or parole.
3: (laughs) Man, I'm glad to get some
2: help. For more info, go to TNWorkReady.com. Brought to you by the Tennessee Department of Labor and Workforce Development, the Tennessee Association of Broadcasters, and this station.
0: Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee today on WKOM 101.7 and WKRM 103.7, your hometown source for news and information. I'm Tom Price. And now news from around the state. The number of overdose deaths in Nashville alone has grown to an average of 14 a week, with three quarters of those deaths tied to fentanyl, according to the Metro Health Department. In Humphreys County, Captain Clay Anderson says they are also seeing high numbers of fentanyl-related overdose deaths. It's more and more, and I'm going to tell you, it's scary, Anderson said. It's the most deadly drug we've encountered. Anderson said many of these deaths are people who thought they were taking another substance like a prescription drug and weren't aware what they were ingesting was laced with fentanyl. In fact, Anderson says he has charged alleged drug dealers with second-degree murder and seen them break down in tears after learning the substance they sold could have killed a client. The Department of Homeland Security says that fentanyl flows from Mexico into the U.S., which has led many lawmakers to tie their critiques of the Biden administration's border policies to overdoses. Anderson believes the border does play some role in the amount of fentanyl in the United States, but he says the best approach to curbing overdose deaths is educating children early and by going after the chemicals needed to make the man-made drug. They're always going to be able to smuggle large amounts of drugs across the border, Anderson said, but if you can stop them from making such large quantities, that's where you can really hurt them, he said. However, while fentanyl is coming to the U.S. from Mexico, according to the U.S. Sentencing Commission, 86.3 percent of convicted fentanyl traffickers are U.S. citizens. Furthermore, about 90 percent of fentanyl seizures happen at legal crossing points or interior vehicle checkpoints, according to U.S. Customs and Border Protection. They tend to draw less suspicion at the border. A U.S. citizen, as opposed to a foreign national, who often won't have the proper visa or documentation to come across the border, Anderson explained. In Washington, Tennessee Republican lawmakers have said curbing fentanyl overdoses is a top priority. The southern border, the fentanyl crisis, it's a bipartisan issue, said Representative Andy Ogles. When you have college kids in South Dakota or you pick up a state ODing on fentanyl, suddenly every state in the country is a border state, he said. Senator Marsha Blackburn recently went to the southern border on a trip separate from President Biden's and mentioned how she believes the border plays a role in drug-related deaths in Tennessee. Over the last two years, drug overdose deaths, largely driven by fentanyl, have become the leading cause of death for adults 18 to 45 years old. It's time to enforce the rule of law and secure our border, said Senator Blackburn and the other lawmakers who joined her on the trip. While he believes that may be part of the solution, Anderson says he wants to see lawmakers take a look beyond the border to keep fentanyl out of the hands of his community. Let's take one last break. When we come back, we'll cover the final story of the day. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today.
3: Three, two, one.
0: Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee today. And now our final story. Following a celebrated world premiere at Lighthouse Art Space Toronto in December of 2022, Lighthouse Immersive's highly anticipated Disney animation immersive experience will see its U.S. premiere later in January. The exhibition will open at Lighthouse Art Space Nashville, located at 4416 Ridgeway, Ridgefield Way on February 9th. Developed in collaboration with Walt Disney Animation Studios, Disney Animation Immersive Experience was called Awe-Inspiring, Perfect for All Ages by the Toronto Guardian, Pure Magic by Narsity, and TPM Vids Advising. If you're a Disney fan, you need to see this. Disney Animation Immersive Experience is heading to nine U.S. cities. Tickets to this one-of-a-kind immersive experience start at $39.99 and are on sale now at DisneyImmersive.com. Again, it begins in Nashville on February 9th at Lighthouse Art Space Nashville, located at 4416 Ridgefield Way. That's all for this edition of Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM WKRM Radio. I'll be back tomorrow to update you with the latest news. I'm Tom Price. Thanks for listening. Be safe and have a great day.